Hello everybody and welcome to the Words Over Whiskey podcast episode 2. I'm your host Henry and on today's episode we will be doing a rundown of what we've been reading uh, since the last episode. Uh, we'll be joining a new whiskey and we'll be having a discussion about the Witcher series on Netflix. And um, joining me today again, Tom. Hello. Hello. So shall we kick off straight away? Let's open this whiskey. The whiskey. You like to do the honours? Yeah. So I saw this one on Amazon a while ago that was reduced. Um, and there's something about the bottle, particularly the box it came in, that's really set out to be a massive golden skull. Um, it's like, I've got to try this one. <laughs> so neither of us have tried this one before, have we? No. Okay. But I'm going to guess and go out on a limb here and say it's smoky. Yeah. Well, the, what's the name of it again? Smokehead. Smokehead. All right. There you go. One a bit more? Uh, tad more. Thank you. There you go. Oh, yes, you can. Yeah, you can definitely get a hint of smoke from the smell. Yeah, not, well, probably more than a hint. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can yeah. definitely get that. That's gonna. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, exactly what I expect. Ooh. Right. Cheers, Tom. Cheers, Henry. God. <laughs> oh, I really like that. Oh, straight off the. I really Straight like off that. the bat, it, there's like a little, right at the start, there's that hint of smoke. And then it just explodes. And then you, yeah, as it reaches your taste buds and you swallow, you can, whew, you oh, can. Oh, I did like that. Ooh, I yeah, did like you that. Can, you can certainly, <laughs> you can certainly taste it at the back of your throat. I feel like I've stood in front of a fire and I've just inhaled a bunch of smoke. <laughs> It's Ooh. like you've gone to like a Texas barbecue or something, and they're yeah. smoking the meat, and you've gone in to the smoke. Taking a big, <laughs> big breath. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is nice. I'm a bit. I think you, I, I know you prefer. I, what, smooth. I tend to prefer a, s- a smoother one with a nice bit of flavour, but it's not. I, yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't not drink it. I wouldn't go out of my way to pick it out. As a one, but it's, it's not bad. I prefer this one over last episodes. No, interesting. Uh, Red Breast, was it? Yeah, Red Breast. I, pre- I prefer this one. Hmm. Fair enough. Well, interesting to try new things. Isn't yep, it? absolutely. I think I made a good choice. Mm. Speaking of which, let's let's have a look at what mm. the what the. Uh, so we said it tastes like smoke. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the uh, back of the bottle? Doesn't taste anything else though. No, <laughs> it's just smoke. It's a smoke it, overload. It's, yeah. It, it, well, it lives up to the name of Smokehead, so, <clears throat> reading from the back of the bottle. And make sure you get the actual description this uh, time, not the advert. Uh, I thought it'd be interesting to, well, let's see what it does, just say. <laughs> okay, so smoke, Smokehead, uh, Islay, Islay, is it Islay or Islay? I can never get the pronunciation right. I have no idea, actually. I, I should know that. Yeah, Islay, Islay. Anyway, I, Islay, I'm going to call it. Italy. Single malt. Italy single malt Scotch whiskey. So this one's from Scotland. We had a Irish one last, uh, last episode. episode. Intensely rich, yet subtle, sweet smokehead. Embodies a wild spirit and appeals to those with an appreciation for heavy, earthy peat. <laughs> and that's where they get the, uh, the smoky smoke. flavour from. Yep. Just burning the peat to give it the flavour. Earthy peat with immense smoke. Yes. yes. And notes of sea salt and spice. I'm not sure if I can, I can... Sea salt, maybe? I don't get the sea salt. I got a little bit of sweetness when I said that earlier. Yes, it's, it was spice. 
Spice. Sea salt and spice. Well, didn't they say it's uh, sweet at the top? Uh, uh, this is a vigorous whiskey that stands out from the crowd. It certainly stands out. <laughs> yeah. Um, sweet. I don't see it. No, it doesn't say sweet. All right. Did I completely miss it? <laughs> yeah, subtly sweet. Oh, subtly sweet. No, I think I. I don't think I'm getting the subtly sweet. I think I'm getting <laughs> a heavy hitter of smoke. Don't know. Yeah, sea salt and spice. I'm not sure. Mm. Definitely immense smoke. Wild spirit. I think it's. I think it's one where the flavour, the smoky flavour, certainly leaps out at you. But I think probably. Maybe as if I drink, uh, if I drink more of it, <laughs> I think probably as well. That's the point, isn't it? That's why yeah, you got it. I think as as you drink more, you kind of become accustomed to it. Or already on like a having a, a couple of sips, it's it's less doesn't doesn't take me aback as such. What kind of expecting it more? So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit nicer once you settle into it. I think. Yeah. I mean, why you wouldn't expect to be really smoky with a name yeah. like Yeah, I, I was expecting to be smoky, but even so, it was like, whew. So, like you said, I do tend to prefer a smoother whiskey, so it has been a while since had I've, a I've had one. a smoky yeah. one. Yeah. Mm. So that's the whiskey tasting done. So, let's move on to what we've been reading. Jump. So I've I've read two books since the last right. episode. How many? How many are you? Are you still? Uh, I've, on your been, I've been struggling. I started the um, uh, Stormlight Arch- the first book in the Stormlight Archive by Braden Sanderson, and um, I am struggling. I know it's had a lot of praise, and I think it's done really well with character and especially world building. Mm. But I'm just struggling because I, I do like fast paced reads. I do like uh, high stakes and. Yeah, action, really. Yeah. And Talk, talking of high stakes and action, shall I, shall I start with my one, then we can d- delve, delve deeper delve into, into my yours. Yeah, we can hear your grievances. <laughs> so I'll start with my first one. We'll go, go into yours, and then I'll finish with my uh, second one I read. So I read The Falcon of Sparta by Con Igledon. Yeah. Have you, you said you've read some of his I, work I've, I've read um, Emperor, Gates of Rome, and uh, Death of Kings. Uh, Where's the second one's called? Um, and I think they were very they were very uh, easy style to read. Mm. Very, uh, it's quite simple, and although they can they can be quite chunky books, some of them. I think this was this was about uh, this was four hundred and twenty three pages. That's not too bad. Oh, I've got written down, but um, it was just very light, and simple. Doesn't take very long. Yeah, I think this. Yeah, it took me. He does take days. a bit of artistic license with the history, though. Yeah, I. One of my one of the things I picked out from from this book, I really I really enjoyed it because I haven't actually read any of his books before. Yeah, and you you said, oh, I think you'll like him, and um, I did. I really enjoyed it. It's um, how can I spot it? It's to do with this uh, this band of Greek mercenaries. There's about ten ten thousand of them who get trapped in Persia. They're it's in- a matter of Thermopylae, isn't it? No, no, it's not. No, it's, it's, not? it's different. It's um, it's set after that actually, ah. like a hundred, no, a couple of hundred years or something. Or okay, a hundred years. Um, but they, there's basically a civil war going on in Persia, and one of the uh, princes hires them, hires this band of mercenaries, um, to assist him. And this, it, it gives it away in the blurb that it doesn't go away so I don't think I, I, I'm going to say that I'm spoiling anything it doesn't go well 
Um, and the well, if, if, if it all went well, I'd be very disappointed. Yeah. It'd be a very boring book. <laughs> but but it's based off historical events. But I'll go into that in a bit more. But um, I suppose in his defence, everything that's happened is a really long time ago. So yeah. to be fair, it could have happened the way he said. We can't actually prove. Yeah, it, his it, um, in his historical notes, he says it's based off the works of um, the writings of someone who was there. Okay. Um, but like the translation of it. But um, yeah, so it doesn't go well. And then this band of mercenaries, 10,000 Spartans, it says on the blurb, but that's quite loose because in the book you find out it's a mix of various uh, it's Spartans, Athenians, other types of Greeks um, who actually make up this band. But it's really quite, it's quite interesting. I, I really enjoyed it. He, he describes the battles well. I enjoyed that. Um, and it was, for me, I, I really like my historical fiction. Um, I think I mentioned in the first episode too that um, one of the series I really like, Simon Scarrow. He, Under the Eagle. Under the Eagle. That series I love. Um, Bernard Cornwell, his um, Last, Kingdom. Last Kingdom series. Yeah. I, like, I really like it. Um, I'm a big fan of Roman history, but Greek history I don't actually know a lot of. So it was quite, it was interesting reading about it from learning some stuff about ancient Greeks. But one of my gripes with it is one of the characters is involved with this um, uh, council in Athens. It's a Spartan council called the Thirty. But the, it's only kind of very briefly mentioned in the story itself. And he explains it more in the historical notes. And I kind of wish he'd included included a bit more explanation in the book itself. Just kind of so who I understood who they were. So it, I had to wait till I got to the end of the book and read those notes to actually understand oh what that was in reference to because it was only briefly mentioned i was like i don't i don't know what that is so yeah. some bits that were a bit confusing it, yeah some bits because you didn't give enough exposition yeah it's like bits that were part of the history which kind of could have done a bit more explanation in the story because i didn't know about them um but yeah i i, I enjoyed it overall there were some like i said some historical note bits I wish had been explained a bit more fully in the story itself yeah and he he, he really he really likes the Spartans he really <laughs> likes describing well, you, you can tell that you? yeah you can tell it from the writing he really likes describing how kind of human. yeah in a way kind of their real prowess and um compared to the other troops who make up the, the Greeks because he's always like the Spartans were always fighting in the front lines and they were always like had this uh, he's always talking about like the, how crazy their endurance is and everything and the little bits I know of Spartan history it, I am aware that they are very they, they are revered very capable warriors very capable revered warriors but I'm wondering is this actually uh, an <laughs> accurate possible. representation of how capable they were um but fun, I think I mentioned this in the first episode again, harping back to that. One of the books I'm hoping to read this year is called Elite, which is to do with like elite military units throughout history. And one of the ones mentioned in that is Spartans. So I'm looking ah, so for yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of cross referencing it a bit and see if they were that renowned, really. Because like I said, I don't know a huge amount of Greek history. I'd be interested to learn more. Um, I think now that I've read this, I want to try and learn more about 
Spartan history and everything because I think it'd be really interesting and it really made me want to watch the movie 300 <laughs> just just reading about the battles and everything I was like oh, I want to go I want to go watch that film now <laughs> yeah yeah that's fair enough but yeah I think as a first introduction to a Conigal Dunn book and as a standalone I, I quite enjoyed it and if historical fiction is your type of thing because it, it is based off true events um, one of the main characters is called Xenophon Xenophon he's got Weird Greek name. Yeah, most Greek names you can't really pronounce. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try and butcher it again. But uh, it's based off um, something he wrote called the Persian Expedition, or at least that's the translation of it. Um, So yeah, maybe in the future I'll have to give that a read and see how it stacks up against the kind of historical fiction version. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. So um, yeah, I'll talk about the other book I read in a bit once we get to grips with what you did, <laughs> what you didn't like, and the bits you do like of uh, your book. Well, um, the first one in the Stormman Archive. Uh, it's called The Way of Kings, but that's on the. It says The Way of Kings Part One. So I'm assuming, because I haven't actually looked into it, that it's actually one book split into two. So the first two books of the series is one book split into two. Sort of like how in Game of Thrones... Yeah, Dance of Dragons. That's yeah, split that's two. split into two. Sort of like that, which is fine. And as I said, the world building is amazing. I think Radden Sanderson actually said he's got about 400 pages of just world building. Yeah, you were telling me about this the other day. Yeah. You said he's got a ridiculous it's amount. crazy. Of... Um, but I think, like the effort and detail he's put into this is amazing. But it's not like, you know, pages and pages of info dumps or anything. Mm. Like... Um, and you learn more about the world from the diagrams and start the chapters than you do from the actual writing, which I think is a really good touch. I think that's quite interesting. That's quite cool. Yeah, I like I like having. Um, and yeah, you showed, you showed me a couple, and they, I really like the pictures. And it, it's like this it's, one. It's very nice. That's like a giant crab. <laughs> well, yeah, um, and so I really like the world building aspect, and I, I do like the characters. They do feel real, like really interesting people, mm. and I do like them. But I just, I, for a lot of the story, I didn't feel like anything that they chose to do had much of effect, an, an effect on them. But mm. like I mean, okay, they do deal with some real emotional problems, some of them, um, throughout the story. And others are, you know, back to the corners and, you know, it, nothing's going easy for anyone. Yeah. But that's what I, I would have liked to see is, some more stuff happen, really. Is it that he's kind of flitting between too many characters? And so not you don't... at all, not at all. But I think because there are three i think main people he focuses on and it's a almost 600 page book and you only see one of those three um the first in part one of the book and yeah and then again near the end so although she is one of the main people you've barely seen her Mm -hmm. and so by the time you see her again i've forgotten about her (laughs) like oh who is this but another thing i really like though that i think makes it more even more unique it's got the book's divided into loads of different sections. It's got um, four words, in, and then it's got a prologue, then it's got part one, then it's got interludes. Mm-hmm. In the interludes, you see different characters you've not seen before, and they offer insight to, say, law, or why events have happened, or why characters are the way they are, yeah, through someone else's eyes, and like a couple of short stories, and then it goes back to the main narrative. Okay, so it kind of breaks it up. Do you think maybe that's what it is? It's that it kind of get, keeps on getting broken up? Which is why you kind of feel like you're not keeping on track with these characters. Yeah, um, a little bit. I, I quite, I it quite, I quite liked that style. I, I quite liked um, seeing because I mean the, the mythology and the religion 
uh, you can actually see why these people believe what they believe. And, like, they'll reference a god, and you go, I remember reading about him in this interlude or, or prologue. Mm. And you can really see how the listeners developed. And I like that, but at the same time, did it break it up too much? I wasn't disorientated. Yeah. I wasn't disorientated at all. But the interludes, I think, were more interesting than the actual narrative. And I think I think that's what the problem was. So, you, you, for you, it's kind of the learning about the world and the world building and how it affects the people in the world, that's more interesting than the, than the actual <laughs> characters. And is that, is that, is that your gripe with it? You really like this world, but you're not, I'm not enjoying... I don't get to learn. Well, the whole premise of the idea I heard Bradley Sanderson talking about in a lecture was, he was, you know, in animes and the JRPGs, they, they, the characters have these ridiculously huge swords that mm. realistically... Kind of like um, Cloud in exactly, like Fantasy. Exactly, just like Cloud. Sword. Yeah, just like Cloud. You could never use that in real life. It'd be completely pointless and difficult and useless in real life. Just be unwieldy. Unwieldy. Well, Brandon Sanderson's like, well, what if it wasn't? Mm. What if it wasn't? What, what, if, what if there were people in a world which could use a sword like that realistically? And that was where this idea came from. I, I find it ironic how on the front cover the guy it has is like not, a smaller yeah, sword. It, it's a very thin blade on that. Uh, but I think it's meant to be, you know, really long. Oh, okay. Because in one swipe you can kill like six men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but and they're called shard blades, these, these swords. But we, we barely see them. I think that there's very few characters who have them. Mm. Um, and in the 600 page book, there are f- only three or four instances where, where you they're see used. These. Yeah. Uh, one person even starts using it for menial tasks. <laughs> or digging or something. Literally, actually. <laughs> literally digging. <laughs> literally digging a latrine oh, with this holy sword. <laughs> Legendary sword. He has his reasons. Used to shovel shit. <laughs> literally. He's, he's, he's got his reasons, to be fair. And it's quite a, a, a nice scene. But I want to see sword fights. I want to oh. see I want to see something. I, wanna, I know they're at war, but they even refer to the war themselves as a game. Like The main drama in the book is one of the characters trying to evolve the war beyond this point. I think it's definitely part of a long series. Mm. And I think it's setting the groundwork now. And I'm sure later on it will pick up a bit. Yeah. But it's something you want from a first book in the series. Is to, for, to grip me. Yeah. And to you grip said, me and pull me in. Because usually like, if it's a good book, you'll read it really quickly. And you said this has been... Despite it being a long book, it's still taking you quite a while to get through. And it's a... If it's going to be a long series, you want to be engaged. I want, I want to know. I want to you don't want to be struggling it, yeah. through the first book to be like promised more later when you're like, can I be bothered to get through that? But one of the lectures that I watched of Brad and Sanderson, ironically, he was talking about how fantasy books don't have a learning curve, which I think he was mostly talking about how you get to grips with their magic system or whatever. But I also thought, in a way, it's how uh, you get used to the book and how you enjoy it, in a, in a sense. Yeah. Like when I read Malazan, um, it took me a while to get into it. So it had quite a steep learning curve for me. Yeah. And ironically, Brandon's book is what is <laughs> another steep learning curve. It's a very steep learning curve. I think the yeah the co- concept of like the shot blades and stuff sounds interesting. Mm. I think just before the podcast, I read the first few pages and there is a really nice description of this. Because it's not um, the shot blades... If I if I'm understand this right, just from the little bit I read, I'll, I'll get I'll get you. You can read the um. But it's, it's in a way it's not it's not like a weapon they carry around with them. It's something they kind of summon in a way, and the way he describes the the summoning of this blade was really 
impressive. I like, I can visualize it perfectly, and I, that bit I really liked. And then I was, I was talking to you, and, you, and as you've been saying, they haven't really materialized as much in the book since then, which is kind of a shame because they sound. Oh, here, here here's cool. the bit you liked. Yeah, let's talk because um, a saw blade did not cut living flesh; it severed the soul itself. Yeah, and that's quite a. That's very visual, evocative. Yeah, visualization to think oh, this is fighting people, but they're not. Well, don't, don't take it the wrong way because all the Sword Blade scenes are superb. Like that, that um, that sort of writing is maintained mm-hmm. uh, throughout all the all the scenes where anyone uses a Sword Blade. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish more people had them and they used them more often. Yeah, I think because that would be yeah. much more enjoyable rather than reading about scribes and digging latrines. <laughs> so do you, do you think once you've finished it you will read the second part? I think eventually, eventually. one day and I think I one might... Day. One Ten day, years from now. I think I might dip in and out of reading it for a bit and reading something else at the same time mm. so that I can actually yeah. So what? So the, so the main bits you like from it are the description of the sharp blades... The sharp blades in general, whenever the they're seen, general, are, are amazing. There's supposed to be the, sort of more. The world building and the lore behind the world itself. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Because the, the world, the continent that they're on, is constantly hit by really powerful storms. Mm-hmm. So everything about the world, from the plants to the animals to the way people build their houses, are dictated by these storms. So all houses aren't like a square buildings like we have. Mm-hmm. They are angled to um, uh, like almost like a wedge shape. Mm. and pointing towards the direction the storm has always come from to break the wind on its faces to protect the people inside Um, and like plants when uh, something approaches the the blades of grass pull back into the ground so they're not blown away by the wind that's quite cool that's really that that sounds like really interesting developed world exactly and like instead of um, oxen or things that pull carts You've got giant domesticated hermit crabs. <laughs> giant. And uh, horses, their skin is as tough as rock. Mm. Well, I think it actually is rock, actually. Mm. And so everything about that world is designed yeah. around these storms, except for one kingdom, which is perfectly normal. <laughs> I won't go into that. So you like, you like the world building, you like the sharp blades. Any other bits you like? World building, Sarah Blades characters. Okay. Capitalization was good. Braden Sanders was really good with characters. Yeah. Um, they were very interesting. Uh, well, my biggest problem was plot and pacing. Plot and pacing. Uh, that's all. That's the answer I only drive. Okay. But it is. It does really get to me. <laughs> <laughs> you like getting through books quite quickly, don't you? Mm. Yeah. Anything else to say on it? Or do you think you've kind of covered it as far as you want to go? Well, um, I haven't read to the end yet. So once I've read to the end, maybe, I don't know, the end will be... Maybe, yeah, maybe an event back. will happen at the end. You're like, i got to read the next one straight away. It's still got time to redeem itself. Yeah. It's still got time to redeem itself. How, how many more pages have you got? 60 pages. Six, oh, okay, not, not so many. There's still, still plenty of time for a lot to happen. Yes, yes. What about, what about your next book? Hi, guys. Henry here. And just to let you know that, unfortunately, for the next section of the podcast, we encountered some heavy background noise, which we didn't realise until after the recording of the podcast. I've done my best to... Uh, reduce the noise and you can still perfectly hear me and Tom for the next section of the podcast however if you want to completely skip the bit where I talk about the uh, book and go on to the rest of the podcast 
suggest going to the 36 minute mark where you will have skipped most of the background noise. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Cheers. So my <clears throat> my next book, uh, changing from historical fiction to a non-fiction book, uh, this is um, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and uh, Life Babin, Leaf Babin, Leaf Babin, Leaf Babin. Um, and so it's they're both ex Navy SEALs. Again, me going back to my you love, love your service. I love you? I, I love my special forces. I love learning about. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sign you up. I'm gonna enlist you <laughs> in the armed forces. <laughs> yeah, I just got get chucked out of a plane one day with a parachute strapped to me, like in that. Uh, what was it? That, there was that Predator film years ago where they sent a bunch of ex or various mercenaries and gang members and special forces people onto a planet. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do remember that, actually. It was... Yeah. It was, it was um, not the best film. No. Wasn't, wasn't the guy... Lawrence Fitzburne, who plays Morpheus, wasn't he there as some crazy guy living on the planet? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember much. <laughs> yeah, he that, didn't right? play that very well. Like, when he was... So, when he was talking to an imaginary person, yeah. I genuinely didn't realise what it was. It's like, what is he there? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, getting back on track. Um... Yeah, so it's by two ex-Navy SEALs, Extreme Ownership. It's basically taking lessons they learned from their time in the SEALs and uh, the, print, the, like, the principles of those lessons and how to apply it to business because they together they set up a um, their own business which then goes to help other business in improving like their efficiency and their leadership. Um, but what I liked is the way they broke down each chapter so like each chapter covered di- a different principle or different thing they'd learned in their time at the seals and each chapter was kind of split into three sections one would be a uh, them talking through a combat scenario or a, a to- um one of the times where they were um on on an operational tour the one they mostly focused on was 2006 ramadi i think it was iraq um or was it Iraq? Uh, I think it was Iraq. Uh, but yeah, Ramadi was the place they kept on mentioning. Um, and what they do is they, um, they talk through the, um, what, what, what the mission was or what scenario they're going through or what lead, who was involved in the leadership of that mission. They talk through the combat scenario, um, to kind of give you an idea of what this, this leadership, um, principle was so like one of the the example which is the title is extreme ownership um and so that um you spoke to me about this that's about taking ownership of mistakes and yeah um admitting if you're in charge if someone under you if you uh screws up then actually you're to blame if you haven't given them the proper instruction yeah. so i think it was jocko who described it because he was i think he was uh like uh leaf's superior um i think he was um like the platoon commander and uh, Leaf and another guy were below him. But Jocko was talking about a time where um, one of their missions, it went, I think it went well, but there were some, or, but there was some oversight with it. Uh, oh, that's how I remember now. There was a situation where uh, they had tanks ready to fire on a position where they, um, where they, they thought they'd been engaging with the enemy and it turned out there was a group of uh, friendly forces in that uh, in that house oh and um like jocko uh, or 
uh, who was involved with it, uh, he managed to make prevent it from happening, prevent there being friendly fire. Um, or well, there had been friendly fire already, but he prevented it from getting worse. Um, but when they got back to base, every, um, like his who's his superiors were asking whose fault was it? Why did this happen? And then he, this was where he used extreme ownership. He was he went to his his guys, his squad, and he was like, whose fault was it? And like the some guy was like, oh, it was it was my fault because I didn't didn't make it. Um, clear that we were moving building or some other like the radio guy was like I, it, it was my fault because I didn't uh, alert these people and he was like no you're all wrong it's my fault it's because I didn't inform you properly and so his idea like this idea of extreme ownership is if you as the leader don't outline the mission for your subordinates to understand and follow correctly it's not their fault if they make a mistake. It's yours, and you have to be the one to own that mistake. And um, he says it. It's it's a tough principle to put in place because you're kind of shouldering the blame. If, of course, if someone like phenomenally messes up because they completely went off the rails, then it's not your fault. To it's not your. You don't have to own up and take control of that because that. You, even even as the leader, that wasn't your fault. But if it was some like small oversight by you, which kind of led to this failure, then to take it on yourself to admit that it was it was your fault. Um, and that's that's just one of the lessons they they describe. And there's quite there's some really some other really interesting ones about how um, another good one was how as a leader, it's actually much more effective to uh, talk about the mission to like only like four or five subordinates and then get get them to pass on the orders to their subordinates to say if so to divide all the group into smaller groups that can be more easily managed yeah yeah so it's like um if if you had the leader and then he has like four uh four people below him he explains what he needs each of those four individuals to do in their team they then go speak to their t- their team members and be like, "We need to do this and that." And he said it's it's much easier to manage that way rather than having one guy as the leader trying to explain to like fifty people what they need to be doing. Yeah, um, and and you're t- you're just absorbing all these leadership ideas. Yeah, it, I, I really like it because it's because, re- like I said, he what he does with e- what the two authors do with each chapter. They is, break it down very efficiently. And yeah, they give they give you the they give you the combat scenario with what happened when they were deployed, kind of what the idea of this lesson is. Then they talk about the principle, so they break break it down again, and they're like, here's what it was, here's when um, what you can take from it, and then to demonstrate that. They then give a business scenario where with the, their company that set up after they'd left the SEALs, where they went into other companies to try and help improve them, they took like this idea of extreme ownership and they present a case where they had to tell uh, uh, some business leaders how to implement it. And so it's, it's just really nicely laid out. It's, it makes it really quite comprehen- comprehensible. So I think you uh, easily think digestible, easily digestible and understandable. I think you saw oh, understandable. it. Understandable, <laughs> understandable. You haven't finished the first class yet. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think as you, as you saw when I was um, reading it, I think I was reading it the other day. Whilst um, when I saw you, 
and the number of like um, oh yeah, sti- you, you, the sticky yeah, notes yeah, I so put in it because it, it's it's definitely something I could go back and I like, pick out sections I've I've liked and I really liked to leave. So I I really enjoyed it. Would you say it's very motivational as well? I, I don't think it's the. I th- in a Would way you say it's more informative. I think it's informative and to help you improve as a leader or if um, it's it's to. I think it's, I think, yeah, it's to, in a way, help you improve and through your own improvement to sort of motivate yourself. Like, um, this is just for me personally, having read it, uh, um, it, literally just, I think I was only a couple of chapters in, but I was reading it and really enjoying it. And the idea of extreme ownership um, just kind of hit me. And I went into work the next day and I went to my... I went to my bosses and I was like, right, I've, I've, I've been in this position a while. I know there's further training I want to do. Can you give, can you give me that training? Like I was really adamant about it. I'm like, I want to learn these skills. I know I have the capability to learn. I would say it is motivational because you definitely did get more, um, more assertively wanting the the training. You, you you were more driven, I'd say. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I think, like I said, it just breaks everything down really nicely, and um, yeah, so I, I I really enjoyed that book, and I've picked out bits. I would I would go back and read bits of it again. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. So yeah, that's that's what I've um, I, ju- I just finished it reading it, reading it just the other day. So yeah, but what 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 book are you planning to read after you finish your? Sharp blade one. That is a good question. So as you noted in the last episode, I have piles and piles and piles of books to read. Yeah. Um, but I think I was going to read the next Mistborn book, which is another Burton Sanderson book, book two in the Mistborn series. But I think I might read the first Lightbringer book by Brent Weeks. So I, I, I did start it and I, it didn't grip me, but then a um, reviewer did recommend it. Yeah. So I thought, actually, no. So the, the start of this year, I want to read more, more fantasy. Basically, I didn't read enough last year. I need more fantasy, Henry. I was going to say because you're quite the you're quite the go to you you go to fantasy a lot. Would you not Would you not say you want to try and scale that back and maybe try and read more non-fiction? Well, actually, I barely read any actual pure fantasy last year. Mm. I read some steampunk and some urban fantasy, sort of, and some lots of lots of Pratchett actually, but. No actual fantasy. Mm. So it's like I've got withdrawal symptoms yeah. <laughs> talking about it on the podcast, and I just need more fantasy. <laughs> what are you going to read now? You just started a new one. I started a new book just today, actually. It's um, more whiskey? Uh, yes, please. Uh, Rick, uh, Rick Riordan, who's famous for the Percy Jackson series, he's done a spin off um, series called The Trials of Apollo. And uh, this is the this is the third one I've just I think it's the third it's either third or fourth that I've just started. Um, oh, I can't remember it. I, can't. I was only just reading it earlier. Actually, it's in my in my bag just there. You might be able to fish it out. and I'll be able to tell you the title. But um, I've only just started it. But it's been quite a while. Oh, you do like your hardcovers. Yeah. I've got whiskey on my hand, so I'll let you take it out. It's it's been a while since I I read the last one, so I started reading this one, and literally on the second page, there was 
reminders of a major event that had happened in the previous book and I'd completely forgotten about it so I had to I had to go back and look it up to remind myself of it there are some series I read because um, I normally split up uh, books and series by a few months to make it feel like the series has lasted longer for me if that makes sense yeah. but um, there are some I think they do need to be read back to back yeah like the first Law trilogy by Joe Abercrombie which I really want you to read yeah, and you're I've, going I've, to I've read got it, it. It's, it's on my it's on it's on my desk. It's on my pile of books. We can books. read it after this reorder book, yeah. but you really do, I think, would benefit more from reading the back to back. Because I felt the first one ended a bit abruptly. Yeah. Yes. Um. Trials of Apollo, the Tyrant's Tomb. But um. Yeah. Talking about fantasy, I thought I've read one historical fiction. I've read one non-fiction. So I thought now this this is this has been sat on my shelf for the past few months. So I I should try and get through some of the books that have been sitting around for a bit before I start all my new ones I got at the end of last year for Christmas so yeah I'm going to start that I don't think it'll take me too long it's I always find um, Rick Riordan books they're quite quite an easy read that looks like quite a large book for Rick Riordan I think it's about 400 pages oh it looks less I mean more even it's more um, about 430 roughly so yeah it's not Suppose like now that. if I put the Way of Kings on it, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's got two hundred more pages, but but I think it, yeah, is that, that, and looks close. Whereas Way of Kings has got four hundred, two hundred more pages. Yeah, but well, it looks about the same size. Mine's a hard hardback version, so it probably makes it look a bit bigger. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we've discussed what um what we've been reading. We've discussed our whiskey. So I think we mentioned this. Again, going the to the last, last episode, last podcast. We mentioned it, but we said we were going to save it for this podcast because it's going to be quite a hefty, heavy discussion. The Witcher series. I on loved Netflix. it. I, I loved, loved it. it. I thought it was so good. Yeah, and we're we're talking about it. people. Are like, why, why are they talking about a TV series? Well, it's because for one, you've read the book. I've, I've read most of the books. I you've think I've got two more books. to go through. We've both seen the. The, the series show. and I've just started playing the games so we thought there's quite a lot for us to s- discuss so I, I know the show has been quite divisive yeah for some people online I know there's been problems and the CGI in places was sloppy especially the episode with the dragon mm. the, that, that, the, it, the dragon looked terrible it, it looked, looked like a weird golden chicken yeah yeah I, I don't the dragon didn't look great casting there are one or two things my biggest casting problem I'm sure you can guess <laughs> Yes, I can. Um, so you're a fan of Triss Merigold, aren't you, Tom? Uh, yes, I am a Triss person. <laughs> Triss over Yen. And in the games and the books, she is a redhead. Yeah. And I've got nothing against the actress who plays her in, in she did, the show. She did a quite good she, job. She did a good job. I think she's probably a really good actress. She's like a really nice person. But she doesn't look anything like the descriptions yeah. of Triss. Um uh, and I don't mind when it. when she turned up in the series. I was like, "Who's this?" And then she said, "Oh, I'm Tris Merigold." And I was like, "Really?" I was because I I I was expecting like the someone who looks a bit like like the character. In the, I know it's based more off the books, and it's well, the books is these don't know quite how what a redhead she is, but her Merigold. Her it's not her surname. Yeah. That's a, a nickname almost because of the color of her hair. Yeah. And the actress who plays her in the show is just a straight brunette. Mm. So being called Marigold just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. 
I've, I've, I've not, I, you know, I understand when you know adaptations, liberty, and they you know change a few things yeah. and they can't make it exactly right. Yeah. I get that. But you, but, you were hoping for a hot redhead. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. Hold my hand up. Yes, I was hoping for a hot redhead. Um, <laughs> but also, it doesn't make any sense now. Yeah. I mean, Triss was this female, literally a female role model to Siri in the books. Mm. Triss was a female role model. Um, like, see, bosses, witches around. <laughs> like, like you know, socially, verbally dominates Vesemir. And I, 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 I still thought that Triss in the show was quite strong, mm. but I, I couldn't really see her standing up to she, she I don't think, I think part of the reason maybe was because she didn't feature too prominently in it. It was more, yeah. it was based about, around three central characters. It was based around Geralt, Yennefer and Ciri, who are the main... They are the main characters. The main characters. I, I do get that. But at, at the same time, I just... It doesn't need to have much screen presence, but didn't have enough character to her. Yeah. If that makes sense, but then you're right. Maybe yeah, it's, it's, she had more scenes, it would be more. different. Anyway, going from s- someone who you weren't so sure about the casting, Henry Cavill as oh, Gerald. He oh, was fantastic. He was perfect. Apparently, he'd been wanting to play The Witcher he, for a long time. I, I watched an interview uh, with him, and he, yeah, he he really want he'd he'd heard rumours about the show, and he started calling up. He got his agent to call up <laughs> a- anyone who he knew might be involved in. But like, I want to play Gerald. I want to play Gerald, and they're like. We haven't even started the casting. I want to play Gerald. <laughs> he he basically made sure that he played Gerald, and he did. I think lots of people when they first heard were very hesitant, very kind of reticent about him playing the role. Then uh, the Superman, really, not sure about it. And I think he 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 pulled it off. He pulled it off. I mean, really well. Gerald's a really over the top character. He's really larger than life. And it'd be quite easy to come across as just silly or taking yourself too seriously when you play that role. But I think um, I wouldn't say he's uh, over. The t- I think I'd say he's quite a stoic character. I was, I was, he's, he's quite quiet in a way. Henry, he's a superhuman mutant who kills monsters for a living. That, that that's what I mean by over the top. Okay, yeah. From it, that, I, yes. But personality. You know, I, I was thinking more personality. Personality wise, he is very stoic, quite quiet. So in the books, mean. not as much. In the book, he just walk around going, hmm, <laughs> fuck. As anywhere near as much. And I think yeah, people... He, he said that a lot in the series. A lot in the series. If, like you the memes, if, the you, memes. if you haven't watched the series, Henry Cavill does a lot of hmming. Lots of hmming. Which he does really well, for the record. Yeah, he, he, he can go hmm very well. Very well. <laughs> uh, in, a very, in a multitude of different ways as well. Um, what was I saying? Lars and Lars and character... And I think he plays him perfectly. The the, the level of, um, of of badassery, and at the same time, still quite human. Yeah, because the idea behind the witches are that the mutation process they've gone through is apparently meant to eliminate their emotions, but it, it's that's not. it's just a rumor. Yeah, and he is he at, at his heart, Gerald is a very human character. He is very human. Well, one of the main um, themes of the Witcher franchise is that the monsters aren't the only monsters. Humans can be monsters too. Mm. And that actually, Gerald is a nicer person than lots of the humans well, you do meet. It's as he says in the first episode, that evil is evil, lesser, greater, 
it's still evil. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. He he, he captured the voice so well because he, he did. Ger- Gerald's got quite a. Obviously, deep... we don't know anything about the voice in the books. Yeah, but in the like the, in the game, which I've recently started playing, he's got quite a, a deep, a gruff voice, and Henry Cavill kind of not copied it but kind of replicated he made it his own he made it his own it was very similar it was very similar so I I think I think that's what really worked for him as well like that voice is is iconically Gerald's voice yeah I think people from the game were worried he wasn't and then he kind of like I said he kind of replicated something similar but in his own style and I think that made people really appreciate him in the role I think watching it there was only one time where I heard him speak and it kind of sounded a bit like Henry Cavill whereas the rest of the time, I was like, this sounds like how I thought Gerald should sound. Can I talk about the fight scenes? You can. Because some of them some were, of them were amazing. 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 The, the one the first, first episode. episode. I've watched that over and over again. I even watched a YouTube video where um, a YouTuber called Sadiversity, I think, breaks down the fight into what, like, keeps pausing and explaining all the sword moves and everything. I was over and had a coffee and I needed to watch something. <laughs> um, and so it was actually really interesting. If you like pause it, you can see, but it's like at one point in that first episode, they all cut a man's hand off. I didn't, I didn't. You didn't know. I, I didn't know. I didn't even see it, but we like he paused it and played it in like really slow motion. I'm like, oh, hang on. Shit, he did. Yeah. And it was, I think it was really well choreographed. Yeah, that was really cool. And then in contrast to that, there was like a really big battle, which yeah. I didn't think, I, I know it wasn't really a main focus, but I, it was kind of underwhelming in a way. It might also be in the first episode where we had that battle in Sintra mm. uh, between the Nilfgaardians and obviously the Queen and her army. That's what I was talking about. That yeah. one was kind of That really was awesome. underwhelming. And what I really hated about that episode, um, a battle even, was to just stop and chat, had a chat in the middle of the battle. Yeah. And then... Um, I mean, was... I, I don't mind too much, actually. No. Uh, I know there was one YouTuber, Daniel Green, who was moaning about it. A yeah, lot. I could. I think I spoke to someone else about, it and they're like, "It's it's not a major part of it. It's it's kind of just to set the scene. Really, it wasn't a major battle that you really needed to focus on too long." Although, I haven't played Total War, the tactics <laughs> just charging at each other. <laughs> Obviously, if you're outnumbered that much, you can't win. Mm, mm. But yeah, I think another thing that I've heard that people kind of found either a bit confusing or didn't like so much with the series was the, the timeline. Yes. The timeline. It, yes. I mean, I've read the book, so we'd see, I was like, oh, this is from that sort of story. Oh, this is from that part of the book. So, yeah. so on. And so me I, I, going in at first, cause this was because I watched the series and then having watched the series, I really want to start playing the games. I was watching the series and it took me quite a few episodes to understand where everything fit in in the timeline. I think going through the series, everything it, it did make sense to me. But in the first few episodes, I was like, "Wait, hang on, we're we're here, and then we're there, and hang on." But I, think I am a little really con- benefited from having like um, at the start of a scene ten years ago mm. or a hundred years ago mm. or, or something like that. Or, I, 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 I think locate. I think they had the location sometimes. But like, I, I've just I've just remember this now. I think what it does is something very similar to another series I really like. Westworld, have you ever seen? Yes, oh, I really like it Westworld. Does, it, I think what it does, it's doing something very similar to that, where it doesn't necessarily tell you when each scene is set, but it's at the end that it makes sense, and that's kind of what yeah. works so beautifully, like especially in yeah. Westworld. Everything kind of seems a bit disjointed, but then once you get to the end, it kind of clicks. 
I think that's what this did. I think at first it was a bit confusing because I was expecting it kind of go, to go through just the it, standard timeline. It didn't timeline. click anywhere near as well for me as Westworld. No, really. it didn't. I mean, but, but then Westworld, everything was connected into one central narrative. Yeah. Whereas in The Witcher, is, you've got Yen's storyline, Gerald's storyline, series storyline. I would have they, liked to see more of series they do tie into, They do tie together at the end, but they're all kind of separate until A little bit. Yeah. Yennefer's doesn't actually tie in very much at all. Apart from once you meet um, Gerald. Yeah, apart from the part, the ones where she's actually with Gerald. So they're sort of like parts diverge that and then cross con- convene yeah. and then diverge again, yeah. Whereas in Westworld, it's all linear. Well, not linear, but it's all... Yeah, it's one. all broken into pieces and then once you put reason, together, you basically. put together. Yeah, exactly. And you have to do that yourself as the viewer, but it's fun to do that. But in The Witcher, they are like separate stories that just cross. Yeah. So I, I I do think it might have benefited for, better benefited from saying, and especially since it's going to be a slightly younger and broader audience mm. than Westworld, and I do think would have benefited from say having timestamps, yeah, or whatever they whatever you'd call them. Yeah. So ha- having read the books, how do you think the two compared? Very close to the source material, even down to some of the words and phrases. That's good. Um. Obviously, it's been trumped up a bit for uh, the new medium. Yeah. Um, and some some bits I would have liked to see from the books. Um, well, it, you didn't see so much. Yeah. There's, there's there's one bit which I'm intrigued to know. Was this in the book? And was, that is, you're going to know which bit I'm about to ask. <laughs> was the ridiculously catchy yet maddening song <laughs> in the book... <laughs> Yes. And anyone who's seen the I series so. will I'm, know what song I'm talking about. Because it's catchy so. as hell, but it gets stuck in your head. And I think Was so. it I've actually got, in I've the book? Here. I was about to... Okay, yeah. I've, I've just checked. No, it's not from the books. As far I can't find any evidence to say it does. It sounds really familiar. Toss a coin to you, Witcher. <laughs> and now <laughs> we've got that song stuck in our actually, head. Actually, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, for uh, those who haven't seen the show, there's... There's a there's a character in it who's a bard who accompanies Gerald on some of his um, uh, adventures. Ex- adventures, and he comes up with this ridiculously catchy song, <laughs> which has been stuck in my head for the past few weeks. I've yeah. had it in my head for last month. Yes, yeah, since, 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 since I watched The Witcher, um, and I suppose listening to the heavy metal covers, which are amazing, has not helped in the slightest. Mm. But yeah, I was just curious as to whether that did originate from the books or if it was something from well, Dan the show Lyon, itself. I think one of the books, because um, the, the books always start with a load of exposition, like you know what happened last time, yeah. um, previously on <laughs> on The Witcher, and one and um, they actually a bit annoying because I'd be like, I read that book, I know what happened, I remember, um, but one of them is Dandelion. I think he's writing his memoirs, yeah, because. Uh, the bard and the sorrow is called Jaskier, which is Dandelion's Polis name in the Polis edition. Yeah, I'm quite kind of speaking to someone else, and he says, I think it was a good idea that they did change his name to Jaskier. In the... Yeah, in fact, it's about, it sounded better than the natural name. I think so. Yeah, yeah some of his bars and ballads they do get really annoying mm. because without the actual tune myself, I can't really sing them, so I have to make up a tune, and I'm not very musical. <laughs> So that doesn't always go quite so well. Yeah. Anything, anything else you picked out from the books that was kind of similar or a bit different? I liked how they did expand on. Because in the books, um, 
it, it, it skips a lot of the initial war with Nilfgaard. Nilfgaard's initial capture of Sintra mm-hmm. and the Battle of Sodden Hill one entirely. You don't see as much of in the books as you do in the show. Mm. I, I, I don't give any spoilers away. If I already have, I'm sorry. Um, but I, I like that we actually got to see it. Yeah. Because a lot of stuff in the books, if Gerald isn't, if Gerald or Siri aren't actually there, yeah, you, you don't, don't see it. Don't find out, yeah. Or, or Yen. Or yeah. Triss. You get the deal, I mean. Yeah. So I did, I did like seeing that, but I thought there were more sort of stories it could have expanded on from, from the sort of story books that I would have liked to see. Like there's one where, uh, Jaskier meets another bard who's just as good as him, only female. So this time, good old Tats be interested. <laughs> <laughs> as you can imagine, it gets funny. I can imagine. Yeah. No, I really, I really enjoyed the series because I, I tried playing the games previously. I have one, two, and three. I think the first one I just couldn't. It was just unplayable on my computer. The second one, I think I got frustrated because I was like, right, to beat the main quest, I need to get better gear. To get better gear, I need to do the side quest. Then I found to complete the side quest, I actually need the better gear because otherwise I keep dying. So in the end, after um, turn the difficulty down. Yeah, you were easy difficulty, weren't you? I was on normal, and I was like, I don't want to reduce myself to easy difficulty. But anyway, after watching the series and absolutely loving it, I thought, right, I'm going to go straight to Witcher Three: The Wild Hunt because uh, so many people rave about that game, and I was like, fine, I I, I really enjoyed that series. I haven't got I haven't got any other games that I really want to play at the moment. I'll play that. Um, I'm only about six hours in. But I can see why people really like it because I'm really enjoying it already, and I'm really getting sucked into the world and the lore. And it's yeah. I, want, I want you to try something on the game for me. Uh, did you get all the DLC as well? Um, I don't think I do actually. I oh. have to get them because if you have the DLC, because um, one of the problems they had with the game was players would kill cows, wait for a certain period of time for the cows to respawn because the wait mechanic in the game, yeah. and then kill them again. And to take the height to sell them to the oh, farming money. I've heard of this. So in the DLC, they put in a monster that's really tough and only spawns you've killed a certain number of cows back to back. Kind of like in um, the Legend of Zelda games, where if you attack, oh yeah, that, 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 when you attack if too you, many yeah, chickens, if you attack the chickens too many times, there's like a, a storm of chickens attack you. It's a bit. It's 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 just like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll give it. I'll give it a try at some point. You can test that <laughs> you know. for me. But yeah, I think because it is quite a long game, we'll have to see in a few in a few podcasts time how far I've got with it and what I think of it once I've finished. But um, we'll see who finishes first, me or the books or you or the game. Yeah, but um, something something I read the other day, which is really interesting for the second season, is the character of Vesemir. And for those who don't know, Vesemir is like um, Geralt's um, mentor. mentor and teacher. He's the guy. He's kind of like a father figure to him. But there's this rumour going round that Mark... Well, actually, oh. I did some research on this earlier okay. today. And apparently... It's quiet. Um, I, forgot, I forgot to mention it. Like I said, I was really hungover. <laughs> and um, Mark Hamill was asked, because the rumour was, I don't, know, I don't know if you'd said, Mark Hamill to play Vesemir. Yeah, and so people started a petition and he then said... Actually, I'm quite interested in this. Although the fact was, he said, I don't know what this is, but I'm interested. And then the showrunner for The Witcher has now turned around and said, we are interested too. 
Yeah. So it's looking more and more likely. But the thing was in this series, in the series, in the first season, there what you don't, you don't see Vesemir, but you kind of hear his voice. Yeah. Don't think it sound very Mark Hamill like. But maybe, I, I've seen theory on this. Maybe it's just a placeholder. Maybe they haven't picked the actor yet. And that's kind of just a placeholder before they do yeah. bring Mark Hamill in. But maybe they have already decided and they've already got someone to play him. Or maybe that was Mark Hamill this whole time. And yeah, we don't, even, we don't know. even know. But I think. <laughs> I don't think I, so. No, but I. You don't get Mark Hamill to stand off screen and, and, and talk. And, yeah. But I. I think I've seen mock up pictures of him as Vesemir. And I think he would be very believable. And I think it would be really cool <laughs> if we did get Mark Hamill and Henry Cavill side by side as characters. That'd be, that'd be really good. I would like that. Mm. Just, just them bantering back and forth about Witcher stuff. Mm. That would be amazing. Yeah. I was thinking, um, another one, um, another one of the episodes I realized, and I kind of, for, something almost very different is the practical effects the um the episode with this the strigger with the princess who was yeah. turned into the monster it the it wasn't cgi it was very practical effects it was all but, makeup and stuff yeah but it might I, be a bit of all of the rings the orcs it did and i i really liked it i thought it was really good it 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 looked creepy as hell, yeah. creepy ass monster. But I really that liked umbilical cord. <laughs> That's yeah. what did it for me. Oh uh, yeah, it was creepy. It's just the shriek it had as yeah. well. But I really liked the practical effects. Like, I know with a lot of movies and everything now, it's all CGI. But I think, well, as I said before, very this well, show has had problems with CGI, so I think they made yeah. a really good choice and make doing the practical. Yeah, so I hope do more of that in the future. They do really good practical effects. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because he is a monster hunter. But what monsters does he actually kill, or fight even, in the show? He, he kills one right at the start of the, the first Kiki episode. Mora, Kikimora, yeah. Kikimora. I'll do the Strigger. A Strigger. If I, if I, but like, okay, I don't mean just he stumbles across a monster and fights it. How many uh, contracts on monsters does he take? Because in the games, you're taking monster contracts all the time, aren't you? Um, and in the sort of stories, every sort of story, or pretty much almost everyone, he's got a new monster to fight. But in the show, how many monster contracts did he actually take? Was... He didn't even get any money for the Kikimura. No, the Strigger he did. Um, there was, in, it was only it wasn't even shown in this episode, but it was talked off, off kind of off by other characters where he gets swallowed by swallowed by a monster. Oh, that's a good point. And he, yeah, he can... we didn't see that. We didn't a, see a, that at the start. But of the it is episode. mentioned. So after the dragon episode, he kills something. We see the head fly over the boulder. So we don't actually see him do any actual monster slaying. Yeah. Very much, anyway. But again, don't forget, it's split. The series is split between three characters. It is split characters between three well. characters, and I think Yen's story arc is amazing. Mm. I think she played her really well, and you really saw her develop. And I obviously knew what was going to happen. I think the, the books. nice thing with that actresses who play Siri and Yen is their this is kind of their first major roles. I don't think they're they're not well known actresses. I've never seen them before. I've never seen them before, but I think they both play their roles really well. It'll be interesting to see how they develop as the series go on. I think there will was... definitely be more. It'll be interesting to see what else they may feature in, in the future. I think some people complained about Yennefer, how she originally appeared, with her mm. disfigurements. Mm. But that's true to the lore, isn't it? Well, no, they didn't complain she had the disfigurements. They said, these disfigurements aren't believable. We can easily see she's actually a really attractive lady. With something in her face and on her shoulder and everything. Mm. They but. said we didn't buy that. I mean, they didn't actually do much 
to make her more attractive when she went through what she goes through. The transformation, yeah. The transformation, it just kind of healed her disabilities. Yeah. Um, and if they could do that, why don't they just do it to everyone? Because it didn't seem like much effort for well, the guy who did it. It was a very, in the show, they make it clear that it was a very painful process and it it comes at the sacrifice of stuff. I'm not going to go into spoilers, but yeah. it's a painful process. Like in the, like, in the episode, she's like screaming in pain because of how painful it is for her to... Okay, but let's say you're born with a club foot or you're born without the use of your legs. If I said, okay, I'm going to literally give you excruciating pain for two hours, but then you can walk again, fine. You take it. But I, th- I think in that in the episode, the guy said it, there's not, it's not even a 100% success rate. Oh, as you say yeah. that. I think oh, he okay. says it's not guaranteed to work. There is a risk involved. There is sacrifice. Therefore, that's why. Yeah. But yeah, I'll be interested to see how those two actresses, how they, the characters how the characters develop, and I'm interested to see what else they they turn up. I can't, unfortunately, I can't remember their names. But it'll be interesting to see what they. I think might feature. Go plays Yennefer is called Anya, but I can't remember who plays Siri. No. But yeah, Witcher series on Netflix. Absolutely. Highly recommended. Highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I'm, I've started playing the games. I'm really enjoying those. Well, I'm really enjoying The Wild Hunt. Um, you've enjoyed the books. I've enjoyed the books. The books, the ones that aren't sort of stories, they go much more into the politics and the, um, the secret intrigues. And I, I liked that. But once again, I want to be about a monster hunter. Mm. Like he doesn't actually take a single... Obviously in the sort of stories he does... He takes barely any actual monster hunting contracts in the books. Maybe you can write to the uh, showrunners of Netflix and be like, I, I want more season contracts. two, I want, I want more contracts. More I want more monsters, I want more contracts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think with uh, that, that wraps up our discussion on The Witcher, and I think that draws to the close, the end of this week's this podcast. podcast. So thank you very much for listening. If you have any recommend any book recommendations, any whiskey recommendations or shows even, yeah. just let us know. Just let us know. Um I think at the time of recording this episode we're still yet to fully figure out our social media and where the um platforms of this podcast will be available, but we will uh hopefully let you know soon. I probably by the time I get round to editing this I can include a clip at the end to tell you where to find us and everything but yeah any support any likes will be greatly appreciated thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time cheers tom cheers henry